We return this morning to Matthew chapter 10. We pick up at verse 26 in our verse-by-verse study of the Word of God. I'd like to begin reading back at verse 24, which is where we were last week together in this text, and read down through verse 31. 24 to 31, today preaching 26 to 31. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Just pause for a moment with me to note this. This passage of scripture is not for everybody. One of the problems that people have when they open the scripture is they think that every word of God is for everybody. Well, there's an application for everybody. But this word of God is directed to those who are clearly following Christ already. This word of scripture is directed towards those that are the servants of Christ, relationally. Jesus is speaking to them concerning their continuing following him and serving him. Again, verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Belzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not. Therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, that speak in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, translated hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Father, this morning we are happy to return to this red-letter section of the Word of God where the Lord Jesus Christ instructed his disciples and his servants in that year long ago that has so many practical applications to those of us that love you that would serve you here and now. Help us especially today to hear this word from the lips of our Savior concerning the way in which we ought to order the fear of our lives, that we would not fear men, but that we would learn to fear God, and that we would walk and live in the fear of the Lord. 
Thank you for each one that is here today. We ask your blessing upon them. We know not what kind of things have stirred their minds, what kind of things have been their experience over the last week. But inevitably, each of us has something that has stirred us, has prompted us, has convicted us, has bothered us. And, oh, God, we would this morning look to you and the instructions of our Savior for the blessing and conviction and comfort of our souls. Thank you again for each one that is here to hear. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. As weird as I know it might sound, there is a joy and liberty in righteous fear. There is a joy and liberty in fearing God. King David taught his son Solomon that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Furthermore, there is an anxious grief and bondage ever associated with uh, the fear of man. And today we get to hear the Lord Jesus command his disciples, command his followers not to fear man but to fear God, to live, to serve in the fear of God. We have begun to work our, our way in this red letter section of Matthew where the Lord Jesus instructs and commands his disciples after commissioning the 12 apostles to join him in kingdom preaching, teaching, and miraculous affirmation. The commission to those apostles is time and place specific. But the commands and the instructions for the Lord's followers have principled applications for all God's people in every generation. Again, here the Lord is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to those who know themselves to be his disciples. He's speaking to the servants that have enjoined with him uh, personally, he's not speaking to the whole of mankind. And that really is important if we would understand this word of God. Today, we want to develop the command here, as stated three times by our Lord, to his disciples, not to fear. You find it in verse 26, fear them not. Verse 28, and fear not them. And verse 31, fear ye not therefore. The followers of Christ are not to live without fear, but the followers of Christ are to live fearlessly of what men can and might do unto them as they raise the testimony of Christ as God himself has given it in the pages of Holy Scripture. Proverbs 29, 25 reminds us that the fear of man brings a snare. 
And God would have us neither place ultimate trust nor fear in any man, but rather to place trust and fear in him, in God alone. It is important that we do not simply use the text as a springboard into a topical study on the subject of fear. Yet some overview of the topic from both a scriptural and sociological standpoint can be helpful to us. And we'll say a few things about fear uh, in a generic kind of a way as uh, we begin by way of introduction. First of all, fear is a freezing uh, emotion. And, uh, uh, and that uh, freezing emotion is experienced in my life, in your life, both rationally and irrationally. Now, we all woke up this morning and we have fresh evidence of what it means to be frozen. And fear is a freezing uh, emotion. And it freezes a person uh, both in rational ways, meaning there's something real to be feared, and irrationally, meaning there's actually nothing to be feared, but you just think there is. And we all know something of all of that. Sometimes a person is fearful with good reason, and sometimes a person is fearful without any reason whatsoever. The scripture forbids the followers of Christ, the scripture forbids the servants of Christ from all irrational fear. There is to be no irrational fears allowed in my life or in your life as a believer of Jesus Christ. In fact, the scripture associates irrational fear with a life of excess and a life of folly. Indeed, we sometimes joke just a little much uh, uh, living over the holiday period without sleep or a little too much food, and you will find yourself awake in the middle of the night with weird thoughts. It's called prophecy by pizza and it plagues many people. Fear also, secondly, limits and alters behavior, both rightly and wrongly. Fear limits and alters behavior, uh, both negatively and positively. Uh, John Madden, uh, the former Hall of Fame NFL broadcaster and coach, uh, used to refuse to fly on an airplane uh, for fear of crashing. And, uh, and yet his bus, statistically, was far more dangerous to travel in than any commercial flight he might board. But uh, nonetheless, even strong football Hall of Fame guys can be driven by irrational fear. Positively, children are generally more orderly and polite when parental fear is present. At least that used to be true, and it should be true of parents even today. My point, fear can be both negative and positive as to its impact. And thirdly, uh, by way of just a generic reality of fear, fear is contrasted uh, throughout the scripture with love, not peace, or contentment. We might think the antithesis of fear is peace or security or serenity. But the way to put off fear is to put on the love of God, is what the Bible teaches. 
Fear freezes you. The love of God frees you. Don't be frozen. Be free in the love of God. The fear of God is the one fear that removes all others because God is love. And we simply love him back who loved us first. The fear of which the Lord spoke to his disciples was rational fear. He forbid them rational fear in a particular type or variety. There was, in fact, something very real that was in opposition to the Lord's followers. There was indeed something very real that stood against the Lord's servants then and now. And, of course, this topic was earlier introduced in the section as Jesus described his disciples as sheep living among wolves. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. This rational tendency towards fear was developed by the announcement of persecution that Jesus said his disciples, his followers, at times would face while living in this world. It is just a crock that so much of Christianity says today, oh, trust the Lord and everything will go wonderful. When the Lord Jesus himself said, you trust me and it won't always go good for you. Who do you want to believe? The preacher or the Lord? I tell you, you better believe the Bible. You better believe the Lord. There is a rational tendency towards fear developed uh, by the fact that, as Jesus taught it, at times some nasty things would be said, some nasty things would be done against the disciples of Christ as they had been said and done against Christ himself while on earth. As Christ, so the Christian. That's the overriding principle that drives this section of the Word of God. Yet Jesus commands his disciples, his followers, not to fear that. And it is that specific fear that they are not to fear. Don't fear what men in opposition to God might do to you. Be a good summary. But it is indeed a very real opposition and a very real possibility. Yet Jesus commands, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. And so then the question is, why should believers in the Lord Jesus not fear opposition in the days of their earthly sojourn? And the answer of the text is threefold. Number one. The followers of Christ are not to fear human opposition because of God's promise of full exposure. Back to verse 26. We read it, mentioned it briefly last week. Fear them not, therefore, 
For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. God has promised to bring every vile thing before the light of his judgment. And every virtuous thing to its full reward. The reason that it says nothing covered, covered but not revealed, nothing hidden but not known, is because there's two prongs to this idea of God's coming exposure. And that is that God is going to expose all things vile. Who might that bother? It should bother a vile person. And, uh, and God will not allow any virtue to go without its day of exposure and reward. Who might that bless? Well, a person that was on the path of virtue in following the Lord. There is an additional thought uh, that is brought to bear here. The disciple of Christ is not to be fearful in the midst of misrepresentation, in the midst of mistreatment at the hands of men because of God's promise to expose. And in that exposure is the great promise of God to make all things right. Have you ever been wronged? Yes, you have. Have you ever done something that nobody recognized or blessed? You surely have. As a follower of Christ, you need to know God remembers it all. And no vile thing against the child of God will slip by. And no virtual thing done by a child of God will ever lack God's reward. Jesus said the reason that I don't need to fear. You don't need to fear opposition in the community, opposition in society, opposition by politics, opposition by government, opposition uh, coming our way, uh, even from uh, the so-called church. And most of my grief comes from the church. But nonetheless, Jesus said, you don't need to worry about that because there's a day coming in which God is going to fully expose the vile and is going to fully expose the virtuous and no virtue will lack God's reward and no vile act will go unpunished. That is why the heart of even sinful men does indeed beat for justice. And you and I get to tell people, guess what? God has ensured there will be a day of justice. Exposure. Exposure. Verse 27 goes on to say, Jesus speaking, what I, the Lord Jesus, tell you in darkness that speak in light. What ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetop. Jesus commanded his disciples uh, furtherly, that they were to be living in this old world in a transparent and truthful manner at all times. He is 
uh, as a disciple of Christ, he is to publish or proclaim even the things uh, that the disciple or the servant of the Lord discovers of the Lord privately. The housetop thing parallels the communication equivalent uh, of the Internet. True Christianity, listen, true Christianity, don't miss this, true Christianity does not have secret rights. True Christianity does not have secret orders. True Christianity does not have secret ceremonies. God's servants in the local church services operate uh, uh, with truthful transparency if they're obeying their Lord. Do not fear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Do not fail to live the whole truth of God consistently. Truthful transparency is the Lord's expectation for all his followers. And yet we might say in these days that pastors, missionaries, and local church leaders especially need to be challenged to demonstrate their commitment and faithfulness to this principle. A man of God is to be a man of God at home and a man of God in the church and a man of God in the community with consistency and transparency. Scripture requires of pastors and deacons that they be men of good report of them which are without, meaning that the pastor and deacon lives before the world with noticeable integrity. I live, as a follower of Christ, you ought to live in full anticipation of a coming day of exposure. Nothing you currently try to hide will God God allow to remain hid. And so you better be transparent if you're a follower of Christ. There's a day coming of full exposure. And there's a day coming in which you and I know that no act done to the glory of God for the honor of God at any time in any place will go without heavenly notice. The day of exposure of the vile and the virtuous is one of the reasons why a Bible-preaching pastor and a Bible-following congregation is not to live in the fear of people, to not to live in the fear of the community or the government or politics or the school system or the medical system or anything else that's out there, but rather to live in the fear of God. Secondly, the followers of Christ do not fear human opposition because of God's foreboding execution. I said God will expose. Now I'm saying God will execute. Here's the verse. And fear not them which kill the body. That's called murder. But are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, I argue capital H, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, remind you that these are words directed to the Lord's followers. These are words directed to those that are serving the Lord. And Jesus said to his followers, Jesus said to his uh, his appointed servants, uh, a man uh, can murder a man Uh, but the harm done 
is only temporary, is only slight. Uh, now, uh, uh, the church has a great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a Luther hymn, and, and the hymn picks up on that phraseology and says, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. That's how we sing it. That'd be true. But God alone, according to this verse, Matthew 10, 28, God alone deals with a man regarding his eternal destiny. I don't determine your eternal destiny. You don't determine the eternal destiny of your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter or your grandchildren. You and I don't determine each other's eternal destiny. And I would even say to you, I don't even determine my own eternal destiny because if I wish upon a star like Jiminy Cricket for a whole lifetime that I want to be with God someday, I won't. Unless I come to God in God's way as appointed in Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, is that uh, uh, God alone is the one who determines eternal destiny in response. The fact of the greater fear of God is herein brought to the forefront in the life of the Lord's disciples as another reason why they should not fear people. They should not feel opposition. They should not fear the opposition of the government. They should not fear the opposition of the community. They should not fear the opposition of people. The fear of man bringeth a snare, says Proverbs. But the fear of God leads to life and that eternal. Stop and think with me about the fact that Jesus isn't saying this for grandiose effect. Almost any time these days, when I hear anybody use the word hell, they use it as an expression of emotion. And it's crazy because sometimes they, they, they say it in a way that actually would lead you to believe that they're trying to say a good thing. When hell can't be a good thing. But Jesus here says that there is one and only one that can actually decide the disposition, the eternal disposition of the soul and body. And that one, of course, is God. And that's why you've heard me say, and I am compelled to say it again, that God is the greatest danger to any person's life. To tell the truth, to tell the truth about God, to tell the truth about God's word, to tell the truth about salvation only by the name of the Lord Jesus will surely cause some to love you but others to hate to you. Tell the truth in Christ and some will come and stay, but others will go and stay away. Tell the truth in Christ and it could literally cause you to be killed. We would call that martyred. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. 
Don't worry about it if they, if they only kill you by, in the body, if all they do is, is murder you. Don't worry about murder. Don't you worry about murder. Just don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm so bored. <laughs> no, Jesus said, don't worry about murder because that isn't the end of that story. There's only one that can end the story of a human life, and that is God himself. God is the great danger to every person, and God is the great deliverer of every person who believes on his name. Even if killed while in the service of the king, don't worry about it. Don't fear it. For the king, God the king, has the power of life and death. He alone possesses the authority to place the soul in its eternal condition. The worst that man can do to you is kill you. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. God is to be feared above all. Now, I want you to think about that word that I chose, and that's the word not only that God has promised to expose vile and virtue, but God has promised to execute both in the lake of fire, Gehenna is the word of the text, and in his own blessed presence. We generally call it heaven. But God has promised to execute concerning each and every individual's case concerning eternal destiny. Think of that. And please think of it correctly or biblically. The vast majority of the message of Christendom, and I emphasize the dumb part, but the vast majority of Christendom in our day is emphasizing the idea, well, God loves everybody, and how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Listen, he will indeed place those who do not believe on the gift of his son. Uh, He will indeed execute. And he will execute righteously, meaning that those that have faith in Christ will be forever with God. And the blisses that we experience and that we, I should say, we anticipate, and those not, not. God will expose. God will execute according to his word. Now, if I were the devil... What I'd be trying to do in the life of church people is to get them to shift their attention away from the word of God to the words of the preacher or the words of a teacher or the words of some man. That's what I'd be doing. And I think that every one of you adults to a person can say with me that you can see that happening in the world in which we live. Oh, God help us to open our Bibles, to read the word of the living God. And depend upon the Spirit of God to teach us and to lead us that we might understand the truth and embrace it from the heart. Jesus said that his disciples, his servants, they don't need to fear men. Why? Because of God's exposure. Because of God's execution. And then thirdly this morning, the followers of Christ do not fear human opposition because of God's fatherly estimation. Verses 29 to 31. 
Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. We end with these verses in which the Lord makes a very clear statement as to what it is that God himself, the very God that spoke a word and made the world, what God himself values. And it is extremely important that we hear this value statement correctly. Because it's very, very easy to hear this value statement incorrectly. Now, things are so messed up on planet Earth this morning, among the people that we know, that there are folk out there that believe that the life of a sparrow is ever bit as important as the life of a person. And I trust that you know that is not true. There's something special about human life made in the image of God. But Jesus' statement about greater value, though it sounds like it might be just saying that people are more important than sparrows. And, of course, that would be true. But I'm saying to you this morning, that's not the truth of the text. Here's the truth. People are more important than sparrows. When we take attendance, we don't count birds and bats. We count people. People are more important than sparrows. That is the truth. And it is even a Bible truth. But it's not the truth of this text. This text is also used to give us one of the great uh, and beloved uh, Christian songs. Uh, God's eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And that's a good truth, and that is true, but that's not the truth of this text either. Jesus is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his servants. And he says to them, don't live a life on earth in fear of people who oppose the truth of Christ. Don't live in fear of people around you that don't appreciate the truth that you have come to know and share boldly. Jesus said, fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. It is good to know that Jesus set up the truth of value here by giving full indication that God has such an unlimited uh, ability as to his mindfulness. 
that uh, Jesus said that not even an insignificant sparrow falls to the ground. Interesting word, fall. It literally means to light off or to light down. It's not just talking about a sparrow in the grill of my Acadia. It eventually fell to the ground after I pulled it out of the grill. No, it's talking about the fact that God knows every, ready? God knows every, ready? God knows every hop of a bird from this branch to that branch, from this branch to that branch, from this branch to that branch, from that branch to the ground. God knows every bird hop. I've said this to some of you privately, but I remember one time sitting on the back of the parsonage during the season when the corn was growing and the sun was bright. And uh, after reading my Bible this morning, I realized the fact that as to the mindfulness of God, he is so acutely aware of every single thing that is happening everywhere at all times that God knows the current status of every leaf on every stock of corn grown in Kent County at the same time and that matter all over the world. Jesus said that God knows all about every sparrow hop. Jesus said God knows how many hairs are on a person's head. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? Probably not. I surely don't. And I don't have many left. Do you care how many hairs are on your head? I don't care. If you came to me and said, Pastor, I stayed up all night with tweezers, and I know that there are, are 600,000 hairs on my head, I'd say, well, good for you, Jack. <laughs> Who cares? But God's mindfulness is of a nature that he knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything. Doesn't that uh, tell us something about the day that's coming called exposure? Doesn't that tell us something about the day that's coming that's called uh, es uh, execution? And now we're talking about this matter of the Father's estimation. The Father's estimation. And so Jesus says to his followers and Jesus says to his servants, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. When God told Abraham that he was going to exercise his hand of wrath to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, bless his pee-picking heart, went to dickering with God. And Abraham said to God, God, if there are 50 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, would you hold off and not judge the city? And the Lord said, sure. Abraham thought he was on a winning trek. And so he said to God, how about 40? And God said, sure. Abraham, believing that he was on a winning streak, said, God, how about 30? And God said, sure. 20? 
got down to 10. And God still said, sure, that he would not destroy those wicked, perverted cities if there were 10 righteous people in those cities. What does that Old Testament true story line reveal? It reveals the high, high, high value that God places upon his servants. It illustrates the high, high value that God places upon those that follow his dear son. And so Jesus says to his followers, and Jesus says to his servants, don't be afraid of the world in which you live in. Because you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are of more value to the Heavenly Father than many, 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 many sparrows. God's estimation of any person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ Christ, God the Son. God the Father's estimation of that individual is high. When God thinks upon an individual who has placed faith in Jesus Christ, God's thought of that individual is high. As my dear buddy Spurgeon said it, nearer to the heart of God, nearer I cannot be, for in the person of his Son, I'm just as near as he. You need to know Christ. You need to embrace Christ. You need to follow Christ. And if you are, then you need not fear. man or what man could do to you. You get to live in the joy and the freedom of the fear of God. Oh, Father, this morning, how we would pray for the dear ones that have gathered in this hour that they would know firsthand, up close and personal, the fear of God that frees the soul from sin, that frees the soul from forever death, and frees the soul from the snare of man. No one here would miss the fact that we live in a troubled world and things all around us are anything but right. But in times like these, we have the Bible. In times like these, we can speak of the Savior and bring that sense of peace 
and joy and freedom that comes exclusively through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless those that have received it. Prompt those who have yet to welcome Christ and cause us all to rejoice and glorify you for the great things you have done. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.